Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we are speaking with Juan Martinez. Juan is the founder and president of JMart Strategies, a management consulting firm focused on strengthening the brand, culture, and outcomes of organizations. Prior to his current role, Juan was the Chief Communications and Advocacy Officer at GLSEN, the nation's leading education organization focused on ensuring safe and affirming schools for all students, where he led the communications and policy departments. Previously, Juan was Vice President and Strategic Communications at Sesame Workshop, producers of Sesame Street. Prior to that, Juan was an executive consultant for Teach for America and senior program officer for policy and advocacy at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, where he managed a $20 million portfolio of education reform grantees. Juan also served for four years as a senior member of former Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick's administration. As the governor's press secretary, he was the lead spokesperson for the administration, counseled the governor on all crisis and media issues, and designed and executed the communication strategy for the $4 billion Massachusetts Works Jobs Initiative that put 20,000 residents back to work across the state. During his 10 years in the Commonwealth, Juan was the first ever executive director of the Massachusetts Voter Education Network, MassVote, and president of Dark Horse Media Incorporated, a marketing and communications firm that worked exclusively with small and mid-sized nonprofits across Massachusetts. Juan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Stacey. It's such a pleasure to be here. So you and I have had the privilege of knowing each other for quite a few years. You were actually a, on our board of directors at the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society for a short period of time in your early days with, uh, with Dark Horse Media. And boy, you have certainly been around since that time. But I just wanted to uh, find out more about how you developed a passion for cats and maybe share some of the work that, that you did back in the early days with us. Yeah, absolutely, and I, and I remember those uh, those days fondly, and, and and really enjoyed working together with you and the team at MRFRS those years. And you know, my passion really is a, a, a personal one. I may have loved cats my whole life. I had three cats, my boys, as I called them, for almost fourteen years. They were rescue uh, cats when I first adopted them, and they they you know shared my life. I shared their lives, and. Uh, we bounced around from my time in New York to my time in Massachusetts, certainly in my time in Washington, D.C., and then back. Now I'm back in New York. Uh, they unfortunately passed away a few years ago while I was in, in Washington, D.C. Um, from a variety of, of causes. Uh, one had uh, Oberon, uh, my Russian blue, had uh, kidney disease. Um, he lived about two or three years longer than they expected, so I really you know, I cherished those years for sure. Um, and then I had Spartacus, an orange tabby, who had two bouts of cancer. One led to an amputation of one of his hind legs, and then the second, the second bout was a tumor on his spine. So there wasn't much they could do at that point. 
And then my third was also uh, Orion was also a tabby, and he uh, he died of stomach cancer probably about a month or two after Spartacus passed away. I miss them dearly, uh, and uh, but my my passion's always been very personal. You know, for me, my time with working with you was was both personal and professionally rewarding. Well, it was awfully fun working with you back in those days. It was almost sort of the uh, the Wild West days when we were just sort of starting out in this process of really being able to endorse and advocate for trap new to return. And, you know, you've had such amazing involvement in politics as well as working with nonprofits. And I mean, I, I just, you are just all over Sesame Street. That amazes me too. I, in one of our previous episodes, we had Valerie Ingram on the show who wrote a uh, children's book called Nobody's Cat, which was just great in terms of telling the story about a community cat and how the children make a decision on how to help the cat get spayed or neutered, get them ear-tipped and and all of that. And one thing we were talking about in the pre-interview show, we were talking about the importance of sharing your story for all of us out there that are running small nonprofits in the trenches, working hard. We have a story every day. There's a story, you know, and how do you pick the story? And then how do you make the time to be able to share that story? Well, those are excellent questions, Stacey. You know, one of the things that I've always advocated in my work, and a lot of it has been in communications, not solely, but a lot of it has been in that in that area, in that arena. And that, that field has changed dramatically. You know, when I started working for Governor Patrick, it was, you know, social media was just really about to take off to what it is today. You know, we created the first ever social media department within the, the governor's press office, and that had never been done before. But honestly, the need really hadn't been there until until that first term. And that really is all about storytelling. You know, social media, um, by its very nature, is a social medium, um, whether it's a, whether it's Twitter or it's Instagram or Facebook or Tumblr, all of these platforms are really focused on storytelling. And, you know, on, on platforms like Instagram, it's very visual storytelling. There's very few captions to the photos you see on Instagram, but there's, they're meant to, um, to really portray a story and to get people to feel like they are part of that story being depicted. One of the key things I always tell organizations or departments or individuals when they're thinking about how to really maximize social media is to first get an understanding of the audience of the platform. So let's pick a platform. Let's say it's Instagram. How do you understand that audience that's on Instagram? Like, who are you trying to connect with? Who are you trying to reach? Obviously, it's a very visual medium, so you're not going to have paragraphs of text uh, going with your photo. You want to really have a visual representation. So understanding who you're trying to attract is the first big step. And what kind of story you're trying to tell is sort of the next step in the process. How is my story tailored to this audience and how will they understand it? How will they see themselves in the imagery that I am trying to, to share with them? I mean, those are really two big key steps in the beginning of this process. And then it's understanding uh, how, you know, when do I find time, as, you know, to your point, to post on social media? Well, understanding your audience, understanding how they use the platform will give you a good sense of when you should be posting. You know, if your audience is most active, let's say, at 9 a.m., you want to really focus your posts when they're going to be online, when they're active, when they can see them more readily. A lot of us have a lot of people we follow on social media. So sometimes if I don't see your posts at 9 a.m., 
it's going to be a while for me to go scrolling through my list to find it if I find it at all. But knowing when I'm online is really key. And all of these platforms have analytics that tell us that. You, know, you can go on Instagram and take a look. You can sign up for their analytics. And you can get, you know, you're not going to get a robust amount for free. You have to pay more for more data, obviously. But for free, you get quite a bit, including when are my followers online. So that's a really key instrument to helping understand when to post. I wouldn't have even necessarily thought of that as being a, uh, a first step in the thought process. But if you want to work uh, efficiently, that's really important to know because you don't want to waste your time posting at times where, where your supporters aren't there. With regards to storytelling too, I mean, with Twitter, you're talking about 140 characters. With Instagram, you're talking visual. So rather than spending a long period of time writing six paragraphs about a certain story, I feel like we're now chopping things up into little bites. That's true. And I think those are those bites are really helpful. I mean, it's those of us who uh, were around in the communications world before social media existed, not to date myself too much, but uh, that wasn't that long ago, though, uh, before social media really. But I mean, you're thinking about when you think about social media, its existence, it really sort of popped up about 10 years ago. It's not that long ago. Um, and it has grown exponentially in a short period of time, I'd say, you know, in the last five years or so, it really has expanded quite a bit. But, um, you know, 10 years ago, it was a, it was a fairly new thing. Uh, and folks were not quite um, getting used to it um, just yet. But you also think about generationally, um, and, and technology and how technology has made social media really take off, you know, the use of smartphones and tablets, that's also pretty recent. And so understanding what those devices are, how they're used, how content's consumed, uh, and also if you're trying to reach millennials, they are obviously online quite a bit on their phones, tablets, what have you. Uh, you know, Generation Z, which is what uh, is the generation that comes after millennials, um, they haven't come up with a, a good name yet other than Generation Z, but they'll get there, I'm sure. Um, you know, we, we've seen studies about Generation Z and their use and consumption of content, and they are on five different screens throughout the day, you know, tablet, phone, laptop, uh, television, a little bit in there as well. You know, there are all, all these different ways they're consuming content. And we also know that their attention span is really, really short, six seconds in some cases. So understanding you know, if I'm trying to reach Generation Z, which is sort of the folks in the early 20s and younger, um, I need to understand that. And I need to figure out how can I take 140 characters and make that compelling to that audience if that's my target. Um, and so there, you know, you're seeing smaller and smaller bits of content being developed because of those shorter attention spans and people are, are sort of bouncing from one screen to the other. And now let's take a moment to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Accidental Exiles by Bruce Perry. Jesse McAllister, a young Texan and a rock war vet, escapes to Europe where he seeks a new direction and to heal his desert wounds. Wandering the streets of Escona, Switzerland, he meets and falls in love with a beautiful Italian waitress named Sonia Altarelli. Since the horrors of combat he encountered with a boyhood friend, Jesse will have nothing more to do with war. This story is his farewell to arms. Check out Accidental Exiles on Amazon.com today. Community Cats podcast founder Stacy LeBaron doesn't just talk the talk, she walks the walk. Stacy is available to provide customized consulting for your group to help you increase your effectiveness and develop an action plan for improving the lives of cats in your community. Working with you, Stacy will develop a consulting plan that meets your needs, including visioning workshops for your staff, board, or volunteers. For more information, you can contact Stacy directly 
Email Stacy at communitycatspodcast.com or visit our website and click on the education menu. Let's join forces to make the world a better place for community cats. You bring up a great commentary about looking at what age group you're marketing to. We have so many challenges. The Many organizations are producing a paper newsletter, so to speak, but yet that reaches a certain demographic. And then we're talking about, you know, doing the Snapchat or Instagram or whatever. And then there's sort of Twitter and Facebook in the middle here. And so that's to cover all the different generations. Would you recommend a group just starting out to focus on one of those areas or do we try and cover them all? And if we do have to focus, where would we choose? Would we choose that sort of older generation thinking that they have more money in their pockets or you know, which direction do we go in? That's an excellent question. I get that a lot from organizations and individuals trying to figure out their, their best strategy. You know, my recommendation is always pick one platform, become really good at that platform before you expand into a second one. I think a lot of organizations feel, individuals feel that there are, you know, there are these big platforms you hear a lot about, Twitter, Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, it's usually the, the big four sort of in, in, this, in this realm. Tumblr a little bit as well, but it's mostly those sort of those big four. And there's this pressure where you feel like you have to become, you have to be on all four of those and you have to be creating content for all four. The challenge is that's a lot of content to create. It's different content if you're going to do it well. And that's a lot. And that's a lot for organizations who may not have a large staff in general or anybody doing social media more than either as a volunteer or part-time or what have you. So my recommendation is always pick one platform and focus on that one. And part of picking the platform is understanding who you want to reach and reaching individuals with deeper pockets if you're a nonprofit because you're looking to fundraise is obviously a smart approach. That doesn't necessarily mean it's an older population. It could be Millennial parents, um, if that's your target audience, who have money. So understanding who are you trying to reach first. Uh, and based on who those individuals are, you can really align them with the face, if you will, of these social media platforms. You know, Facebook tends to skew older. People have this idea that young people are not on Facebook anymore. That's not true. They're still on there. They're not necessarily on there in the larger numbers they used to be, but they're on there. They're checking in. They're really most active on Snapchat uh, Twitter, um, Instagram, uh, but they're there on Facebook. They're you know they may not be as active as they are on other other platforms, but they're there. So that's one way of looking at it. You know, Twitter tends to cut across the board as well in terms of sort of demographic profiles. Uh, Instagram does tend to skew younger, as does Snapchat. Sort of the more heavily visual ones tend to skew younger right now. These things obviously change as as new platforms come up and as, as people create different content. But that's generally what you see. So my recommendation is always pick one platform. Understand that if that aligns with the folks you're trying to reach and then become really good at that and, and you will be able to engage your audiences really effectively if you're good at producing the content they want to see and they want to consume. And then once you become an expert in that platform and you have the capacity to maybe expand to a second platform, then it's, it's worth trying that as well. But at first, pick one and, and become really good at that. I'm just going to change the topic quickly here and turn into a conversation a bit about advocacy. Obviously, you've been in the political area pretty intensely. And I'm just wondering if you have any tips for us who say we run into a situation where we're getting some backlash about trap new to return in a certain colony, or we'd like to work to help promote certain legislation within our city or our state. 
Do you have any tips for helping us to convince our legislators to sort of think our way? Definitely. You know, advocacy is such an important part of our work, regardless of the work that you are doing. And obviously, if there is a legislative regulatory component to it, then there's more sort of the, of the political advocacy going on. You know, there's tremendous power in numbers. There's obviously power in money as well. And not uh, not all of us, you know, are coming from a place as organizations or as individuals where that's necessarily our first option. But there's tremendous power in numbers. And so my first recommendation would always be really to think about who can I bring along? What is this power? How can I generate this power in numbers for my cause and use that to advocate legislatively or with our, you know, with regulatory officials? Understanding, you know, what is my community? How can I really move them in that direction? Maybe it's a trip to a legislator's office uh, at the state house. And how do I get, you know, five, six, seven people to show up for that meeting? Um, how do I get letters and emails uh, generated to those legislators' offices? You know, people think that doesn't have an impact, but I can tell you from someone who's been in politics for a long time, you, if you get a wave of letters and emails about a certain topic. I can guarantee that legislators will take notice because they'll they'll get us. It, it's so rare that folks contact legislators and our elected officials in that manner anymore. It used to be more commonplace, but it's rare now. So that when it does happen and it coalesces around one issue, people will take notice, uh, and that allows you sort of the, the door opening a little bit to have that face to face meeting to talk about your issues. And when you're in those meetings, you know, coming back to what we talked about a little earlier, Stacy, the power of storytelling is really key. Elected officials, uh, political leaders, uh, leaders in general who give a lot of speeches know that the best way to really engage your audience is, is around storytelling, having them understand your world as an example of theirs. And I, I used an example when we were talking earlier, Stacey, about Secretary Clinton in the last debate, in which she talked about, she did use, she used storytelling. She talked about her grandfather, her grandfather's small business. He, you know, she talked about individuals that the audience could relate to, other people who have parents or grandparents who own their own small businesses can relate to that kind of a story. So same thing here, whether it's around TNR or other issues, the more storytelling you can have, the better off it is. And if you have that power of numbers and you have that sort of show of, of representation, it really goes a long way. I just want to do a follow-up question. When you were talking about writing letters, are you meaning physical paper letters versus emails? Do physical paper letters get looked at a bit more seriously because they're not done as often? I think there is definitely power in that. You know, I would say letters of all varieties, emails, um, physical letters that are done, um, those are both very powerful tools. Obviously, you know, everyone's inundated with emails these days, but if you have a targeted subject line that's about a specific topic and you'll highlight that topic in the subject line, people will notice that. You know, if I'm an aide to a legislator in the office and my job is to, is on the constituent relationship part of things and I'm monitoring the letters that come in and I'm monitoring the emails, if I start getting emails and I see the same topic coming up four, five, six, seven, you know, ten times, that's going to be a red flag for me. I'm going to make sure that my legislator knows that, that this is a trend of concern, uh, of advocacy that's happening from my constituents. Uh, same thing with letters. If I get letters, and they are, they do tend to be more powerful in the sense that someone has taken the time to sit down and write a letter, which, as we all know, is uh, a, a sort of a dying quality that we all used to do a lot more of. But it's also something that does usually take us more time. So there's more time put into that sort of um, level of communication. So those, both of those pieces, you know, I wouldn't say that not to do the emails because letters are more powerful. I don't think the letters are so much more powerful that emails don't still work as well. I think if you have a combination of the two or if you just want to choose one or the other, that's all really powerful. It's really more about the numbers 
and less about uh, the medium necessarily that you're using to communicate it. But if you have a, a coalescing group of people who are you know, letting your legislators know that you care about a certain issue, that's really going to move it. So the moral of the story is don't be shy. That is most definitely the moral of the story. Don't be shy because, you know, if you're looking at it in terms of uh, you know, two sides of an issue, your opponents are not going to be shy. We see that in politics all the time. Sometimes whoever talks the loudest with the most numbers is really what's going to move the needle for a lot of elected officials. And, you know, it's case by case and depending on the topic, obviously, and the issues, but you, you do see that quite often. So don't be shy and get out there and make sure that you use your place as an advocate uh, and a place as a constituent of your elected officials to let them know what you really care about. So tell me a little bit about JMART Strategies and, and what that's all about. Yes, thank you. So JMART Strategies is a, a consulting firm that I uh, launched uh, not that long ago, earlier this year. Uh, after over 20 years of working uh, in organizations, both uh, mostly nonprofit, but also in politics and, and for-profit, working in those organizations to help them uh, really engage with their audiences, to really connect with them uh, through communications, through branding. Also working in those organizations um, to improve the culture, the internal culture of those organizations, and really uh, focusing on a strategic perspective to move uh, outcomes to benefit organizations. A lot of that has also happened during times of transition, um, so a lot of change management, that kind of thing. Um, so I finally decided, you know, I, this is the work that I've loved doing for so long, um, and it's work that is really meaningful to me on a personal and professional level, and I decided that I wanted to be able to help more than just one organization at a time. You know, and I, as much as I enjoyed working within organizations, the ability to have a consulting practice where I could help 10 organizations at once versus just one was much more powerful to me and much more rewarding. So decided to, to launch it earlier this year and, um, you know, knock on wood, so far so good. I've been spending a lot of time building the practice, you know, sort of the back end items of website and those components and building content and using social media, as we talked about, <laughs> so for uh, storytelling and building content there. Uh, and I'm enjoying it. And if folks are interested in finding out more about JMART or re just reaching out to you, how would they find you? Sure. Well, a couple of ways. One is um, to go to the website, jmartstrategies.com, um, or folks can just email me directly at jmartinez at jmartstrategies.com. I'm more than happy to chat with folks. You know, we do offer a one-hour free consultation for organizations, you know, if they want to talk for an hour about where they are. And, uh, you know, if that's a useful conversation for them, we're more than happy to do that as well at, at no charge. That's a wonderful, I would take you up on that offer. I recommend folks do that because an hour with someone who has a bird's eye view and has the experience of working with other organizations can really be able to assist with foretelling possible obstacles on the road ahead. So an hour would be incredibly valuable. So I appreciate that offer coming out on the show. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. I would really, I would love to chat with folks. Um, you know, whenever they are, are feeling ready to have that conversation, please do reach out. Uh, as you said earlier, Stacey, you know, don't be shy. Uh, this is a, an opportunity that I, that I love dearly uh, helping organizations, so I, I would cherish it as well. Juan, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? You know, I would just say that, uh, you know, when it, when it comes to whether it's advocacy, whether it's fundraising, what have you, you know, don't be shy. You mentioned that before, Stacey. I think that's such a key bit of advice. We tend to not want to, to quote, brag about ourselves or our organizations too much, but that's really what makes the difference, letting people know what you're doing the impact it's having, the communities that you're helping and you're trying to reach, um, you know, unless you talk about it, uh, other folks won't. You know, that's really the only way to get your message across. So, uh, you know, that don't be shy advice, I think, is really key. And there's so many ways to do that now, so much easier than it used to be. 
um, before social media, before all the technological advancements that we've had since then. And it's a great opportunity to do that and to really capture folks in a, in a unique way versus uh, what we used to have to do before. Well, and thank you again for agreeing to be a guest on my show, and I hope we'll have you on in the future. I would love that, Stacey. Thank you so much. It's always great to catch up with you. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes and leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 